Hello, and you are listening to Eco Justice Radio, a project of SoCal 350 Climate Action. Our show presents environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame, featuring voices not necessarily heard on mainstream media. Welcome, I am Jack Eit. On today's show, the Open Source Seed Initiative, Freeing the Seed from Corporate Control. Host Carrie Kim will be interviewing Jack Kloppenberg, Professor Emeritus of Community and Environmental Sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Jack Kloppenberg has studied the social impacts of biotechnology, the controversy over control of genetic resources, and the prospects for framing food sheds as an analytical basis for developing sustainable food systems. He is the author of First the Seed, The Political Economy of Plant Biotechnology from Cambridge University Press, is currently inspired by the potential of food sovereignty and by the possible application of open source principles to plant breeding. He is a founder of the Open Source Seed Initiative. Aloha, this is Carrie Kim. We are thrilled to have Jack Kloppenberg one of the founders of Open Source Seed Initiative, whose aim is to free the seed away from corporate control and back into the auspices of current and future generations of farmers, breeders, gardeners, communities, and the like. We thank the Tongva ancestors for their enduring presence, legacy, stewardship, and connection to this area since time immemorial. Our show comes to you from the ancestral homelands of the Tongva, and all of their relatives. And we invite you listeners to actively engage and support the native nations of Turtle Island, wherever you live and beyond. Most would agree it is a farmer's right to save, replant, share, breed, and sell seed. This fundamental right is rapidly being eroded globally as transnational seed companies push for the worldwide expansion of restrictive seed laws, patents, and intellectual property rights. Multinational seed companies continue to consolidate control over the supply of food crop seed. However, it is the independent farmer who has historically been the basis of food security for local communities. Indeed, they are often the first line of defense against hunger. With use-restricted seeds, a farmer is unable to plant a new crop without purchasing new seed from an outside supplier. If we buy such seed, we cannot legally save seed from our harvest, not even for replanting for our personal use. We're also forbidden from using a patented variety to breed anything new of our own without the permission of the patent holder. We do not and cannot own such seed by design. We are not able to own, but are merely permitted to rent the seed for a season, much like an enslaved tenant farmer of feudal times. When we buy seed, we rarely know what we are buying into via patents, nor do we understand what restrictions are placed on us upon usage of these seeds. Do you wish to buy seed you can fully own, that you can save seed from, or use to develop new creative varieties of your own? Do you wish to help an organic food system flourish? 
Do you want varieties that reflect the values and needs of organic gardeners and farmers rather than the interests of multinational seed companies, many of which are also the singular largest producers of pesticides and herbicides? Enter the global movement to maintain free access to plant genetic resources. The Open Source Seed Initiative was created to counterbalance the prevailing trend towards patenting and restricting the use of seeds and the rights of farmers and gardeners who buy them. We have Jack Kloppenberg on the show, on the show today to show us how to join the movement for seed sovereignty and to ensure a diverse, open source, accessible food system for all. Jack, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been a long time. Well, thank you, Carrie. That's quite an introduction. You summarized that as well as I've ever heard it done. <laughs> it's because it all came from you. <laughs> You're the source. <laughs> Congratulations to your daughter on her wedding, by the way. Thank you. So, Jack, let's start at the beginning. You, you've been on the front lines um, with corporate control of seed for three decades. Could you tell us how you began and, and what happened? That's three decades of commitment to this. And so you've really seen a long trajectory here. So if you could share. I surely have. I wish I had a better story to tell. But yeah, <laughs> I got interested in agriculture in the Peace Corps. I was three years in, in Botswana way back in 1976 to 79. I was introduced. I worked with farmers there. I had some construction background. Oh. And I was building dip tanks to throw cattle in to keep the, oh. keep the ticks off. Oh. <laughs> but, of course, I interacted with the farmers as well. And I put my own first seeds in the ground. Mm -hmm. And found that I really enjoyed agriculture, that I liked farmers. Mm -hmm. And I was politically conscientized there, too, because uh, at that point in, you know, 1976, uh, right. Zimbabwe was still Rhodesia and South Africa was still under apartheid. So it was an ecological education and a social and a political education. But I got interested in agriculture there, got interested in putting my own seeds in the ground. And I've been putting my own seeds in the ground ever since. And when I came to graduate school, I turned to the guy next to me in the desk and said, I don't know what I'm going to do a dissertation on. And he said, mm. well, you're a gardener. Isn't something happening with seeds? And indeed it was. Mm. So these roots of corporate concentration, appropriation, go way back, not just 30 years, but 120 years. Mm -hmm. So it's a process that has been underway for a very long time. And hopefully with open source seeds, we are beginning to get in the way and provide people with an alternative. Wow, Jack, that's amazing. You know, I'm wondering also with your time in Africa, what that taught you about community, because this whole issue around open source is going back to community and a community of sharing. Well, indeed. And what I saw around me there was uh, the, the lands were still hold, held communally. And what the U.S. Agency for International Development was involved in at that point was something called tribal grazing lands policy, which in my own naivete, I didn't really understand. It was just, uh, why are the sons of the chiefs and 
and parliamentarians getting land in the communal areas while I'm working with poor farmers to build drift fences and diff tanks. And they're not getting the land. And it was a process by which land was moving out of communal and collective control, out of the out of the commons and mm-hmm. into private ownership. So I, I learned about that as well. And really what we're talking about here with seeds is the same process is that seeds historically have been shared by farmers, exchanged by farmers. The dynamism of the sharing, you know, with breeding, and we can talk about what breeding is in a little while. Breeding, and which is to say the improvement, the recombination of genes uh-huh. to provide for an improved variety, uh-huh. uh, is dependent upon access to genetic resources, access to seeds, to sharing the seeds, to access the genetic diversity that's out there. And this has been public domain for a very long time, and mm-hmm. only since the 1900s and really since the 70s, mm-hmm. it's been turned into private ownership with intellectual property rights, patents being the bright line on that, of people mm-hmm. saying, well, this is a novelty. I've recombined them this way, and they're mine now, and right. they're mine for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Well, it all goes back to capitalism, right? When it became about profit and not about really the food system and sharing with community and actually the he- a healthy society it really became about profitability and how could I profit off of this? So well, that's, that's absolutely true. And, and what's happening with, with seed is that seed is remarkable because it reproduces itself. Mm-hmm. That means mm-hmm. that if a farmer has seed, and can buy it from a seed company or get it from anywhere, plant it, replant it, save it, he or she need not go back to the seed company the next year. So the the farmer is the essential uh, consumer of seed, the essential customer for a seed industry, but also how do you keep that customer coming in every year? There's ways to do it. One is through hybridization, and the other way is through the law, which is to say, when a seed company introduces a new variety, they get rights to that, which prevent, as you've explained in your introduction, to prevent people from saving it and using it. And, and innovating it. with it, right, as well. Yes, exactly. Innovations, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, maybe this is a good segue into talking about how Aussie was spawned in 2012 and the 20 people who came together to, with their concerns to begin this. Could you talk about the humble origins of Aussie? Yeah, and, and we're still pretty humble. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We like that. <laughs> you know, you got to do it. you mm-hmm. got to do it, but it isn't easy to find the ways around or through or transforming a very powerful system, but we've got to do it. Well, you know, I have been doing it. I've been writing about this for 30 years. And unfortunately, all the tendencies that I've described way back in the 30s and the 50s, which is concentration of economic power, intellectual property rights being increased, Mm -hmm. uh, and the exclusion of public agencies and our universities, all those things are just getting more problematic and are being intensified. Right, exactly. Accelerated. It's come to a point where even people in 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 the universities, the breeders in the universities saying, well, I can't, I can't get access to germplasm anymore. Mm. I see what's happening. They're pushing me out. I can't get support for the work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And when I say I want to, I want to, I, I want to find a broccoli that germinates in cooler conditions. The first thing you have to do 
is do a, a study to mm-hmm. say whether or not I can have access to any of the material or whether it's already encumbered by patents or technology use agreements mm-hmm. or MTAs, material transfer agreements. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it isn't just patents. There are a whole range of contractual obligations that are also in the way now. And mm-hmm. so not only were farmers beginning to recognize, but university science recognize and activists be, be beginning to recognize and indigenous peoples mm-hmm. what to do. Mm-hmm. And back there, in, there's something in, and we took the example of software. Mm-hmm. You know, software hackers are in the same position in a way in relation to mm-hmm. uh, Apple and, and uh, Microsoft. They say, I can code. Yeah, free, the code. <laughs> free the I code. Free the code. I want to share my stuff. I want people to use it. I want to improve right. things. Mm-hmm. My work is owned by Monsanto, by Apple, or right. what can I do? So mm-hmm. they invented this open source software, which is a contractual way, still is the tools of the master, the contract. Right. You might say, to say instead of excluding people from use, what right. we want to say is, you need to keep this free. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what we were inspired by. So we came together in 2012, a bunch of us, and mm-hmm. tried to see what we could do, whether we can put these principles in place in plant breeding and plant genetics in the seed industry, as well as in software. And mm-hmm. it's biology isn't the same thing as, as software by any means. Mm-hmm. So challenges, but that's the... Right. The stimulation. We got together in 2012, and like any initiative, uh, you've got growing pains, and not everybody sees them. <laughs> and you just got to push through things. Mm-hmm. And we found that to use, and this is by no means just us. This is the ideas propagate, and the ideas emerge everywhere in, in response to. So it's emerging also in Europe and in various ways, mm-hmm. and yes. so on. It's not exclusive to us by any means. Happily. Mm-hmm. We have we we worked through it, and uh, it's your commitment, right, to ensuring that. Well, if you could talk about if you could define germplasm, people might not know what that means. You know, the the interesting is, seeds are absolutely critical to agriculture. I mean, they're what you put in the ground. Whether you're going to feed the stuff to animals, or whether you're going to consume it yourself, or whether you're going to grow cotton and make it into clothes. Mm-hmm. Most everything starts with a seed. Uh-huh. And in that seed is encoded genetic information. And, you know, just like, imagine people are dogs. Look at all the dogs there. In the, <laughs> right. Any one species. Uh-huh. There are many, many, lots of different genes and combinations that are possible depending on what you want and what your goal is. And what breeders do with Mm -hmm. seeds is they have sexually recombined them, uh, you know, for generations and generations, farmers. Right. Recently, the way that it got done, but embedded in there are, you know, in in each seed is the nutritional value of that crop. Mm -hmm. Architecture is, whether it's tall, short, whether it's amenable to machine, uh, mm-hmm. Harvesting or hand harvesting, or mm-hmm. how well it tastes, or what diseases it's resistant to, and what pests it might be resistant to, and indeed whether you can actually replant it or not. There, yeah. there are all kinds of things in there, and the point of plant breeding is to continuously recombine mm-hmm. the genetic diversity that's available in germplasm. It's another word for 
the stuff in the seeds. Like the genetic material. Genetic material in the seeds. In response to climate change. Mm-hmm. In response to new disease or pest parameters that are coming in with climate change. Mm-hmm. To nutrition, because in, you know, Looking for you know the, the the hard tomato hard times stuff the, the tomatoes you buy in the grocery store well they're bred to all ripen at the same time to ripen to to not ripen to be green so they can be shipped and to right. ripen later and so all of that is what is put in there mm-hmm. bred in and when you bring something in you may lose something else right so Jack we we're going to, we're going to come right back and talk more about this as well as the the OSS the Aussie pledge and how it preserves the rights of farmers, gardeners, and plant breeders. We'll be back in just a second. Hey listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying EcoJustice Radio. Stay connected by subscribing on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests and listen to extended episodes, as well as get connected with us on social media. Today you're listening to the Open Source Seed Initiative, Freeing the Seed from Corporate Control with host Carrie Kim and guest Jack Kloppenberg, Professor Emeritus of Community and Environmental Sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm Jack, so we're back. So if you could talk about the Aussie Pledge and how it preserves the rights of farmers, gardeners, and plant breeders. So you've got the companies making all these, you know, arrangements in which to stop the flow of genetic information, to hold it on to it and not let other people, as as you've explained, to not let farmers save it and replant it and use it again. And of mm-hmm. course, a patent prevents breeders in the universities from using it without the permission. Right. So what can we do to uh, open up things again to free the seed from these forms of, of legal and corporate control? Yeah. We took the example of, the, of software and mm-hmm. What software does is, is you do it with a license, which is a formal legal entity in which they say, well, in order to accept this software, and you've all seen it, everybody's seen it, you have to check yes. on the box yes, when yes. you download it. And you say, I agree to all this, and you've never right. read it. Read it right. What it says is, I agree to everything you tell me, and I can't understand <laughs> it. So we do something like the same thing. And mm-hmm. we started out with a with a with a the same kind of contract. Mm-hmm. But we found very quickly, and we had three different contracts written, and but they're three pages long, and right. they're space, and only a you know only a lawyer is going to understand them, and yeah. what right. farmer or what consumer, what home gardener mm-hmm. wants to do that? And right. our seed company said to us, "No, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. What can we? How can we simplify?" Yes. So we simplified, mm-hmm. brought it all down to. A pledge, which is right ah. at the bottom there, and I'll read yeah. it to you. Yes. Right now and tell you okay, what it please do. And this that is on our seed pack. It says the Aussie, the Open Source Seed Initiative pledge. You have the freedom to use these Aussie pledge seeds in any way you choose. Freedom. It's all about freedom. Any mm-hmm. way you choose. In return, you have an obligation. In mm-hmm. return, you pledge. Mm-hmm. Not to restrict others' use of these seeds mm-hmm. or their derivatives, mm-hmm. patents or other means, and to include this pledge with any transfer of the seeds. Mm. So it's always transparent. Things. Mm-hmm. One, it you know it 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 gives you freedom. We're all about freedom. Mm-hmm. Not free seeds. We're not distributing them free. You can sell the seeds. You can 
But freedom to use, that's what it's all about. Yes. We say you agree and you have responsibility whenever you transfer these things or anything you do, and they're derivatives, Mm -hmm. which means anything you do with these seeds, this plan should apply. Mm -hmm. Any innovation. And it's viral. Mm -hmm. When other breeders or farmers use these seeds to create a new variety, that variety is also under the Aussie pledge. Mm-hmm. It means that Monsanto says, oh, I like those seeds, but oh, I can't agree to the pledge. I can't agree to that because I want to, I don't want to, yeah. I, I, want to, I want them to be mine. I so they can touch the seeds. So mm-hmm. it protects the seed, keeps it in the public domain or what we call, you know, the public domain plus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got protected commons, right? Protected commons the- is another way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And the the difference is in the regular commons, the public domain, Monsanto can go in there to the USDA collection Uh of seeds, pull out some material, change it, and patent it. Got it. Yes. Can't do that with our seeds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's something that Carol Deppie of Fertile Valley Seeds had discussed that it that the public domains didn't really work because it didn't protect those people who were plant breeders because someone like Monsanto or or one of these big seed companies could just pluck it right out and then make it their own and then do all these other legal encumbrances, right? And this is, of course, a global problem. Is what the seed companies, and in fact, university have been doing for hundreds of years now, is collecting material putting it in seed banks and collecting material from the global South where genetic diversity is, where crops had their origins and where genetic diversity is most concentrated. Mm-hmm. Hold it out of the public domain. We don't owe anybody for anything for it. We collected it. It's ours now. And we yeah. distribute it to the Monsantos and the et cetera. So this is, is a, is a form of biopiracy. And this is what mm-hmm. under the convention on biodiversity has mm-hmm. put some policies and laws in place to try and impede this kind of biopiracy. They don't work mm-hmm. that well, but they've tried to do it. And, yeah. you know, we talk about it here in the United States, but it's really the global south, places like Thailand and Peru and the global south, where the extraction of genetic diversity has been most pronounced. And in mm-hmm. fact, where farmers are in the most danger. Right. Mm-hmm. Literal danger. I mean, here it may be... Right. I've been killed, you know, literally. Like physical you danger. share your seeds, if you can't save and replant them in Kenya, mm-hmm. that may, may mean that you don't eat. Right. You start. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we know that that's also happening as far as indigenous farmers uh, being assassinated. I mean, these things happen, we know. Um, so with biotechnology on the rise, could you address the, these fundamental problems? It's long been controversial about whether something from nature could be patented. And where is that gray area between you know, human invention off of a seed, whether it's hybridization or cultivars? How do, where does that line get drawn? And what do you feel about uh, nature and the patenting of nature? Is I, I feel like never should be patented, but I don't know what what you feel about this issue because it's a big one it's very controversial yeah it is and and remember that patent law varies all over the world as does contract law and everything that we're talking about here there is a tendency to put everything in place and to have the united states be the model for what should happen everywhere else Uh, what is patentable here in the united states is that patenting is the most advanced 
Mm-hmm. What the patent law is, and there have been a whole variety of cases in the U.S. Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and it, not just on, on, on seeds, but also on, on other materials and human genes and human, other yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Naturally occurring, you can't patent what already exists in nature. Mm-hmm. What's already out there outside of human intervention. Mm-hmm. can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what when the Supreme Court also held in the BRCA, yes, the breast gene, the breast cancer gene, and what was it? I forget the name of the company that was involved. Was mm-hmm. that purifying it is not sufficiently novel to be patentable, which was good, but hardly. But right. any change you make mm-hmm. to anything that exists in nature becomes a human invention, and that in the United States, at least. As is so loose and permits so many things. And what the companies are interested in, of course, is not taking something right out of nature and selling it to you, but transforming it in various ways, mm-hmm. indeed, to as to change it. And that's all patentable. Right, because they want to profit, period. I mean, that's all it always comes back to that. And the problem is, of course, that that it's the market that determines what's profitable, and what they're interested in is, with only using the new, is corn and soy for the most part, because that's where all the money is. They're interested in cowpeas or other mm-hmm. things, you know. Mm-hmm. And and as far as the technology is concerned, and I I I am opposed to genetic modification and to for slightly different reasons, mm-hmm. and to the use of CRISPR. Mm-hmm. In a little bit different way than than is common. Okay. Uh, it's a tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am worried about who's using the tool rather than the tool itself. That's uh-huh. not to say that we shouldn't be very careful about tools. Right. That's that's pretty much where where I am. I think these tools are so powerful that we ought not to be. And by this, I mean not only genetic modification, but especially CRISPR now which has come on of gene editing and the newest form of gene editing which appears to be much more powerful than what we associated with genetic modification and gmos before Uh, i think Mm -hmm. that it's so powerful that we ought to slow down until we have you know social and political institutions Mm -hmm. in place which could assess and decide how to use it sustainably how to use these tools sustainably it's 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 moving too fast without control and you see with crispr uh well you see what happened to me with, with gmos is that when dow came to say well we we know we've got resistance now to round up in the weeds what do we do we don't find another way to do things we say well we'll add 24d into what we got we'll get genetic resistance in the crops to 24d and we'll combine them so you get more chemicals right. the tools are being used not to generate new and sustainable alternatives mm-hmm. are not being used in innovative and creative ways. Mm-hmm. They're being used to reinforce mm-hmm. existing monocultural, chemical-intensive, mm-hmm. energy-intensive system. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. And so I think that you know you, the corporations have got to be front and center when we come to complain, not mm-hmm. the tool itself. Because the corporations are going to use whatever tool they have in problematic ways. So I oppose the I I oppose GM and and CRISPR and its deployment because we're not using it well. Right. Well, I mean, I think everyone knows we're kind of on this frontier of like the next like GMO uh, 2.0. People who are paying attention know that. 
So it, it is imperative, like you say, there's ethical, there's moral, there's consequences to these actions. And, and as you say, it's necessary to slow down and really consider. I mean, do you feel that there's any better mindfulness around all this in Europe than here? Oh, there is, surely. For And there always has been. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think Europeans are, are generally, I, think, I, I don't know how well you can generalize these things. I don't understand right. it fully. But they appear to be closer to the land, uh, closer to their own food, and more aware. I think they are more distrustful of corporations than mm-hmm. Americans are. I fear that, uh, that, as we see with our politics right now, there mm-hmm. are very substantial numbers of American citizens who simply, for reasons I don't understand, mm-hmm. don't know how to think critically and assess the evidence that's in front of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah. and yes, it's it's much more pronounced in opposition and responsible tendencies. Mm-hmm. But I would also say that the corporations are as powerful in the EU as mm-hmm. they are in uh, as they are here, and they're pushing for the same sorts of things. The opposition mm-hmm. is a little stronger than it is here, quite a bit stronger than it is here. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a it's a struggle in any case. Right. Yes. There is a special struggle in the global south, mm-hmm. where neither states nor institutions nor civil society are as well organized as they are in the EU and in the global north. To oppose things that are happening, yes. To well the extension of international agreements that are pushed by both the EU and the United States, uh, and increasingly by the Gates Foundation and large foundations, the Ford and Rockefeller, in pushing for enhanced efficiency, market orientations, and the displacement Mm -hmm. of what are alleged to be inefficient farmers, Mm -hmm. you know, Iowa and Kenya. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yes, yes. Looking for laws and technologies that uh, are not even suited to Iowa, right, <laughs> uh, right. Kenya. So, right. but there is opposition and struggle everywhere. Right, right. And these things are in direct opposition culturally to to the cultural fabric of society. I mean, I think of Africa. I mean, you speak of the Gates Foundation, and we know that there's there's a great deal of things happening in Africa. But, uh, you know, I wanted to say we can trace much of the world's ills to this concept of ownership. I wonder what what you have to say about, you know, whether it's perceived ownership of land, seeds, intellectual property. Where do we cross the line from the commons to the personal that creates separation a less creative, a more restricted, greed-induced, or self-centered world. Because we're seeing all of that now. It's not the only thing that's happening, but we are witnessing that. And and I wonder what your thoughts are on ownership as a root cause to all of these things. Well, surely it's a root cause. You know, the, the core of capitalism is the commodity form. That's what it's all about, is establishing commodities, which are items that can be bought and sold in uh, markets and to pull things out of common collective ownership or responsibility or stewardship because ownership is indeed a kind of Western concept. To make things ownable is what capitalism is all about. And what's exciting, and this is what the erosion of the commons is really the fundamental drive 
of capitalism. And what is exciting for me is that there are senses that a sharing economy, that alternatives at this very fundamental level are necessary and to protect the commons and shared endeavor wherever it can be found is an important thing to do. And there's a new verb called, a new verb called commoning and people writing about commoning. And mm-hmm. I think you put your finger on is this is what we're after in a sense with open source and Aussie and mm-hmm. what we copyleft is to say that and what we do with our breeders is we are not we don't ossify and we don't declare things that we take out of the public domain those aren't ours in any sense right not trying to create a monopoly we do take what and this is why with our the development of new varieties and i should talk about some of the what people can do and where they can find yes. our varieties yes, mm-hmm. is our breeders who are independent breeders, they're not in the university. These are people who are in Kenya would be called farmer breeders. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They are themselves artists. They're people who've right. got to breed the way Beyonce yes. got yes. a uh-huh. They're breeding and creating new varieties. Uh-huh. And they pledge to Aussie. This is the way we get Aussie pledge. They will uh-huh. say, I agree. And they write it down and we have a contract. Uh-huh. I agree to release and distribute this new variety, which could be patented, it's something that you know right. is new and hasn't been before, and has various. I to, I agree to distribute and share it or sell it only with the Aussie pledge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't. They don't claim ownership. Right. Sort of claim anything. They just say, if you want it from me. Mm-hmm. You agree to these terms, right? right? You call it what you want. We might call it stewardship, but mm-hmm. it isn't quite ownership. Mm-hmm. And you don't own that wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. Aussie pledge is an ethical commitment. Mm-hmm. It's trying to recharge. It's an aspirational endeavor because we decided not to do it with a formal legal contract. Mm-hmm. I like that. Somehow it feels more binding. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't actually, it actually works Mm -hmm. because, and we're doing a couple of things because people say, well, if it's breed seed, what if I do with it? But breeders would like to make a living off their seed. Sure. Sure. And that will help them to continue to do what they're doing. But they want it not to be appropriated by universities or by the industry or by other seed companies. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that our ethical and instead of a three page contractual obligation, which just doesn't work in the seed right. trade, yes, yes, yes I understand. Yeah, uh, an ethical commitment, but it actually works. Is that universities, what we find is universities and seed companies, mm-hmm. their intellectual property offices, because of this commodification and bureaucratization and legalization of everything now with right. in, in genetics, uh huh, yes. saying. We don't want you to touch anything in which there is any intimation that it might not be free for us to use or owned by us. Mm. So our pledge is enough of a, and in right. fact, those breeders in a writing have called the uh, open source material too contagious to touch. Mm-hmm. Right. Is it a caveat for them? So that's good. <laughs> good. And we are also saying, and here's where, where the tool is helpful. You may know that, that, and we haven't gone into CRISPR and what digital sequencing is all about now, but mm. you can, with modern genetic technology, you can tell very effectively whether or not the material that you have 
has been used by other people in various ways. And mm. what we're doing now with an Aussie is planning to sequence some of our varieties. Mm-hmm. Right. Varieties, <laughs> for protection. For protection, to say, we're doing just like you are, Monsanto. Right. And reassure our breeders, we can do this too. So using the tools in ways that aren't anticipated by Right, right, right. It's a, it's a way to subvert that that other predominance of the corporate model of of uh, seed consolidation. You know, listeners, we'll be right back, and we're going to talk more with Jack of Open Source Seed Initiative about a decentralized food system and why it's important. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. Stay connected by subscribing on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests and listen to extended episodes, as well as get connected with us on social media. Today you're listening to the Open Source Seed Initiative, freeing the seed from corporate control with host Terry Kim and guest Jack Kloppenberg, Professor Emeritus of Community and Environmental Sociology at the University of wisconsin so Jack, could you speak more about this open source, A, as a concept for life and communities thriving together, and B, why is it so important to have a decentralized food system in our times? Well, it's important to have a decentralized food system because the food system is increasingly centralized. And mm-hmm. we're back to the central problem of modern society, or one of them at least, which is to say the the increasing concentration of economic and political and scientific power in particular places. And it happens not just in the seed industry, but in, in food systems as well, in grocery stores and food processors and, you know, beef processing and everywhere is concentrating. Now, there is indeed, you know, and has been the emerging over the last 20 years, a good food movement or a sustainable food movement, organic agriculture, organic food systems, cooperatives. Everywhere, people are trying to find different ways to do things Mm -hmm. that decentralize and allow people to enhance their control over what they eat or enhance their knowledge of what they eat. And Mm -hmm. certainly the farm to table, both in restaurants and farmers markets where people can go and see where their food Mm -hmm. is coming from and get good food food and locally produced and regionally produced Mm -hmm. and the farm to table story people understand it they get it and what i think we need to do as well is talk about seed to table Mm -hmm. and that's what we're trying to do as well but you can you know go to a farmer's market and buy good good stuff from people who you can know and feel comfortable working with Nutrient-dense food, it's the transparency is a key, just like you were saying, on the seeds that people buy, a lot of this is not transparent. The encumbrances upon them of of how they can use the seed, that's not transparent. Could you explain the social value of purchasing freed seed? Well, the social value of purchasing freed seed is that you're supporting Aussie and you're supporting the 50 independent breeders. Mm Mm-hmm who are not associated with an institution, who are not associated with the university, or are not associated with any but their own small company. These mm-hmm. breeders that are Aussie breeders, Aussie affiliated breeders, almost always have their own small seed company. Mm-hmm. Person, five-person operation. And there's a list. You can go to our website and see them all and find them, and they're very good ones. Mm-hmm. You will, if you by purchasing you know, open-source seed, open-source varieties, you can uh, support that decentralized production of new 
and improved and better varieties. You can, you know, and that's what we're trying to get at is diversifying and, and diversity is an is an interesting and useful principle. Mm-hmm. You you talk to investors and, and they say, you know, diversify your portfolio, diversify <laughs> principle. So yes, and isn't it true that it, we're doing exactly the opposite in most sectors yeah. of the economy? And yeah. that as individuals we can diversify mm-hmm. our sources for things. And indeed, mm-hmm. one of the one of the most important things you can do, and that of course it got me into this whole area, is grow your own food. Right. Yes, definitely. And it's a great pleasure. I'm not saying that anybody, everybody needs to or has to or will find the same pleasures in it, but I like it and I enjoy it. And I have a quite substantial garden and I, I don't, I still can't, you know, it's a fairly small percentage of what I can do for myself, but it's doing for myself. Yes. And it's, it's incredibly you, rewarding. And you can do for community. But I mean, I think as soon as you start growing, you want to share it. That's natural. Well, absolutely. And in a community garden is the one that I'm in. I've been in community gardens as long as I've been growing, too. You meet people who you would not socially necessarily meet otherwise. Right. Versify yeah. your own class and your yeah. own economic and your own yeah. social. You meet uh, refugees from Russia and people who are coming from Venezuela. Or, and yeah. you know, globally, in fact, people who are more interested in producing for themselves than mm-hmm. most Americans are. Yeah, but it's a yeah, great yeah. pleasure not only to meet people, to do it in community, to work together to defend your land, because we've had to do that as well, because mm-hmm. community gardens are almost always threatened as well, right. especially yes. in the city. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and doing for yourself and gaining a skill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cook or to grow is to gain a skill and to be able to do things in a world that increasingly wants you to buy what you might do for yourself from other people. Right. Be codependent into the system, right? Exactly. For home gardeners, you know, Aussie varieties are very good and they are locally adapted to where you are. And, you know, there are really interesting, I'm just harvesting from my own garden, the very best squash, the tastiest squash you get is the product of Carol Deppie called Candy Stick Delicata. And I'm just about to harvest one I ate the first one and it was so good. It tastes like sweet. It's <laughs> so sweet. It has a date flavor to it. Wow. I harvested one this morning. I ran over to my community garden to bring it into my friend Kristen tomorrow mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. market to bring it to my friend Kristen Cordette of Blue Moon and say, Kristen, you got to grow this next year. Here it is. Here's the evidence. Well, you, um, I, you have a, about 90% of your pledge varieties, and maybe now but you have more varieties, are bred specifically for organics. What is the other percentage bred for? I'm just wondering what those might be, you know. We don't actually know because all of our people are basically growing organic anyway. Mm-hmm. That's who they are. Mm-hmm. Right. And at this point, with only 50 breeders, we know who they are. Right. Yes. And they're part of the community. And they we had actually we had Bayer come to us mm. and, and say, Well, what if what about what if we wanted to uh open source with you guys one of our GM rights? What would you do? And we said, Well, you can open source anything you want, it's open to you, but we won't do it. Right. Yes. And so and there is a there is a a, a part of what is problematic for people is that and by the way there are various ways to do this when i talk about our partners in germany Mm -hmm. and 
Kenya, mm-hmm. Philippines, uh, and Argentina. We're all trying to find our own ways to do this in our own political and agronomic and legal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Right. Which very- what I'm talking about is, and one of the things that we do here in the United States is we are we are the radical left end of open source. Mm-hmm. We are complete freedom. We are saying anyone has the freedom to do whatever they want with this. Right. This is the reason that, that indigenous peoples have had difficulty. Except they have adopted a version of our pledge, mm-hmm. the Indigenous Seed Keepers Network. Uh-huh. Yes. As its own pledge. Right. It's a little different from ours, but they're uncomfortable with the complete freedom that we give. Okay. And it is even with our own breeders. You mean complete freedom? Mm-hmm. And that, ironically, mm-hmm. can be difficult for people, and I understand why. Is it because they don't trust not. that? They don't trust what's going to happen with that? Is that? Yes. And there are varieties that are sacred. Mm-hmm. There are varieties that they don't want changed. And I think that indigenous peoples at this point mm-hmm. are interested in recovering their relatives. Right. Their ancestors. Finding where they have been and bringing them back into community. Right. And I think they are less interested in seeing those relatives changed. Got they it. They to locate those relatives first. Right. Yes. And so it's, it, I can't speak for indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. But again, there are parallel ways that we can run. Right. Opposition. Right. Mm-hmm. Monsanto and Bayer. Indigenous peoples are not the opposition. I'm not, they're compatible with, you know, there are multiple ways to do open source. And Aussie is not trying to say to anyone, and in our international sector, which now we have, we call it GOSI. Okay. Global coalition of open source seed. Love it. Sharing information. We are sharing the objective of using open source tools to maximize the capacity to share and to keep free wherever mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. We all do it the same way. Right, right. Well, you also, you know, have spoken about how the, the viral component and also that you actually want people to propagate with these seeds so that they're around. That's critical. This global loss of diversity that we are witnessing, we need to preserve the diversity and also increase the diversity from what, what we have, you know, these uh, bring back uh, varieties. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the, one of the, whatever we achieve practically in distributing the varieties, what at least I am interested in and other people on the board, you know, other people on the board have yes. Yes. some commitments as well. Uh-huh. So it's making sure that performative in that new word, that is actually quite useful. The, the performative component of open source means that the idea and our logo is out there and the idea is yeah. out there and propagating that there are alternatives to patenting and technology use agreements and to plant variety protection and to material transfer agreements. It mm-hmm. can't be free. And we're about freedom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the concept is important. Like you said, propagating out the, to the concept, that idea, so people even understand that there is an alternative of what you said. Because most people, there's an average person doesn't know anything about what we're talking about, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, Why is recognizing and supporting the work of plant breeders of all kinds critically important at this juncture? 
And are they aging out? I'm just wondering, are you finding a lot of new, you know, younger, youthful plant breeders? I, I just feel like probably many of them might be kind of like our aging farmers. I don't know, you know. Well, they, they happily, in the alternative community, you also find that a lot of young people without even farm backgrounds are getting interested in CSAs and local agriculture. And you see an influx of people in production who are younger. Mm -hmm. would like to see that. In, and there are young people. The problem is making sure that they can survive. Mm -hmm. Where the aging out is really happening and is also problematic. Here I am talking about the importance of our independent breeders. But it's also true that we need, if we can, and it's, it's, it's very hard to do, is recover the plant breeding education programs and training programs in the universities. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because they are aging out. And what they're aging out of, they're not aging out of CRISPR and they're not aging out of GM and they're not aging out of the research orientations that are complementary to and support the companies. Right. They're aging out of is the release of what we call finished varieties, the varieties mm. that farmers can use. Mm. Practical plant breeding. Uh -huh. In fact, it was disappearing so much that the companies stepped in to give money to universities to make sure that there was somebody there to train plant breeders for them. Oh, wow. Money. But, and here's the problem with the, the young people that come into the plant breeding programs at the University of Wisconsin and mm -hmm. University of California, Davis, and mm -hmm. Cornell universities, where do they go afterward? Emerge. Can mm -hmm. they develop? Are there seed companies that they can move into? There's a handful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Johnny's of the larger, the mid-range ones that are interested in organics, mm -hmm. but not many jobs. And can mm -hmm. they start up their own seed company? Mm -hmm. Can, but it's a tough slog. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so you put your finger on, on a really important is can how can we make okay. sure that there continue to be independent plant breeders? Mm -hmm. Yes, independence a key thing, right? Well, for me, that is, that's who... Or at least an ethical uh, company, that's fine, if they're with a the company, but they're, you know, but the, just the ethics have to be there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, hey, nobody said it was easy. All we can do is identify the need and try to fill it. Mm -hmm. Do the best yeah. we can everywhere. You, you and uh, the Open Source Seed Initiative are truly encouraging just to know that you exist and that this is happening. And and we definitely want to uplift what you're doing and let people know and that they should be, that, that this is an alternative to kind of the, the, the system of all the legal encumbrances and restricted seeds and, and the monopolies and suicide seeds and all the things that most of us don't support, especially our listeners do not support. Could you speak about how people can connect with you and Aussie and learn more about what you're doing and also share and spread awareness around this? Well, the first thing is to appeal to those people who are gardeners and especially who are organic alternative. If you're looking for producing for this is the community, this is the, the clientele that our seed company partners need. If you go to the Aussie website, which mm -hmm. is O-S-S-E-E-V-S dot -E -E org. You can find not only our varieties, 
but information about our breeders and mm-hmm. information about where you can get those varieties. Supporting those small seed companies mm-hmm. with or you know not going to the conventional seed companies which have plenty of you know anybody who's a gardener knows you are inundated with catalogs right every you know in february every year (laughs) our our seed companies have catalogs too you can go there and you can order a catalog from them and look through and you know they don't sell only aussie varieties it Mm -hmm. isn't they're selling multiple things you know you you, but look and see what our best aussie what our aussie varieties are go to one one organization that and you'll find the seed companies and i can tell you which seed companies to go to uh, but one that I will mention would be Fedco, that if there is, you know, a, a larger seed company mm-hmm. that most people who are out there and garden are familiar with, it's probably, it may well be Fedco. Okay. Fedco has upwards of 15 Aussie varieties for sale. Mm-hmm. Have a special section on Carol Dempe this year, mm-hmm. uh, last year, mm-hmm. uh, in some of the 2023 catalog. They've been very supportive. But shall I, is it mean worth mentioning a few seed companies to say? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sure. If you're, you know, if you're going to some seed companies who have a variety of. The Aussie Pledge varieties, what you're ensuring. Sovereignty, seed sovereignty, yeah. Uh, look at adaptive seeds, mm-hmm. which is in Oregon. Oregon. Nature and nurture seeds, which is in Michigan. Siskiyou seeds in the Northwest, in Oregon as well, really, in Washington. Wild Garden seeds. Frank Morton is there. Frank Morton has is a wonderful lettuce breeder whose variety outrageous is being grown on the space shuttle. And wow. <laughs> he had mixed emotions about that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> He's yeah. an indicator of how popular, you know, uh-huh. his varieties are. He is a wonderful breeder with all kinds of of, of varieties. Erica Kempter, Nature and Nurture. Oh, I, said, I mentioned that already. Nature and Nurture Seeds in Ann Arbor. A really interesting, not a company, but if you go to, and it is available, well, it's available at Victory Seeds mostly. There is something called Dwarf Tomato Seeds, Dwarf Tomato Varieties, mm-hmm. introduced by Craig LeHullier in North Carolina and Petrina Nussi Small in Australia. Okay. They had a cooperative breeding project to get, you know, you, you don't want to buy, you know, some of you put, you know, many people don't have a whole lot of room or maybe not right. have a garden you need a mm-hmm. container to put, mm-hmm. you know, patio seed. Right. They don't use yes. them. They uh-huh. They've developed what they call dwarf varieties, which mm-hmm. are smaller, three mm-hmm. foot that can grow well in containers, bread in containers, bread to be in containers, full size fruit, full size flavor, and very productive. Yeah, fantastic. All of the varieties are Aussie pledged. They're mm-hmm. very interesting for anybody who is growing in containers in any way or in space limited places. And upwards of 17 countries, 48 states, people cooperatively breeding. If you go to the t- Dwarf Tomato Project, you find all kinds of information. Tomato gurus who love this stuff, and that's fun things to me. So the best way to uh, support Aussie right now is to create you know, a demand for Aussie-pledged varieties. Mm-hmm. To buy them yourself and to be buying into that, what the concept is for keeping everything open source 
and and to keep our foods and seeds sovereign, that we can be sovereign around them. Yeah. Jack, thank you so much for the incredible work of Aussie to the, the plant breeders and the seed companies you're partnered with and all of the people that you're working with globally and Germany, India, all the many countries that you're working with now to bring this at an international scale too. We truly thank you for this work and, and we're all part of it. We all can play our part and do know where your seeds come from and be more conscientious about where you buy your seeds. So look into the Aussie Pledge varieties and Jack, more power to you and all that you're doing. Thank you so much and right back at you. Hey listeners, to check out our extended recording of this show or to explore our other shows, visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org and subscribe to our podcast. This has been Eco Justice Radio and our show, The Open Source Seed Initiative, Freeing the Seed from Corporate Control. Thank you to our guest, Jack Kloppenberg, and thank you always to our listeners. Please connect with us on social media at EcoJustice Radio, SoCal 350, and Adventures in Waste. If you like what you've heard and you want others to be informed, subscribe and share the episodes. been listening to eco justice radio a project of socal 350 executive producer myself jack eight producer and co-host jessica aldridge co-host carrie kim and engineer and original music by blake quake beats and until next time remember the power is yours <laughs>